0: Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today on this podcast, we're going to discuss the challenges of being rich in the kingdom of God. Today, we'll lead off with Luke 16, verses 1 through 9. As usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll read in reference today, and we'll put those in the overview. So, with our wealth and prosperity under the influence of the Holy Scriptures, Let's just dig right in. Well,
1: thank you, Randy, for that introduction. Current event of the day of the past few weeks, the problem with the rich regarding the kingdom of God. Here's a quote from the Daily Caller, August 1st of this year. Quote, left-wing billionaire philanthropist George Soros authored a Sunday opinion in the Wall Street Journal defending his extensive financial support of reform-minded prosecutors. He has no intention of stopping his financial and logistical support of candidates who aim to fundamentally alter the nature of the American justice system, End quote. Of course, nothing new here. Money drives politics. He who has the most money wins. Mm. This is no way, people out there in podcast land, to run a country. The problem here is not just using money to undermine law and order, which certainly appears to be the case. It's the fact that this world's money will only count before God if it's used for kingdom purposes. Think of that. Indeed, our guide must be from 2 Corinthians 8 9, where Paul says of Jesus, He who was rich became poor, that we through his poverty would be rich. And the word rich there does not mean monetary value, clearly. Mm -hmm. How then should worldly wealth be used? Listen to Jesus' teaching... In this passage, as
0: Randy reads it, from Luke 16, verses 1 through 9. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking this management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings.
1: Well, this parable is unique to Luke, as we will see uh, Luke has several special interests in his gospel going all the way through Acts as well. But one of those is money and the rich. Sons of this age, says Jesus, know how to use money to help themselves to reach their goals. And so should the sons of light. But in the kingdom, money spent on kingdom purposes, missions, the poor, matters like that. Mm. All these have eternal benefits. Money spent on politics Temporal doesn't last. It is a Christian act of sacrifice to do this, to give to those who have need. Those who have been spiritually benefited then will welcome home those who have received help from money so shrewdly spent and spent wisely for the glory of God. Note what he said there in that parable. All the money in this world, because there's no such thing as Christian money, all the money in this world is unrighteous. He calls it unrighteous wealth or mammon. And for that reason, clearly, according to the parable here, should be spent according to kingdom wisdom and righteousness. So the Christian expectation is, weak Christians should follow the word of God on money and understand the nature of the rich. So, as to the rich, those who abuse people through their wealth, as we shall see, scripture is not kind. Randy's gonna read a uh, lament, uh, Jeremiah, it's called, from James in just a moment. But just briefly, let me tell you about the book of James. In chapter 1, he already gets on the rich and says, the poor man should exult in his humiliation because he's got something better coming. But the rich will fade like the grass. And uh, chapter 2, he says, do not favor the rich in your assemblies. You do that and you're wrong. That's evil. Uh, at the end of chapter 4, he says, you people who say you're going to go to this place and that place and spend money... And uh, make profit, he says, you had better include the will of God because you have no idea what tomorrow will bring, not to mention you're a mist, despite your concerns about having money. So then we come to James 5, 1 through 6, where he reaches a climax in his diatribe against the rich.
0: Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you.
1: Boy, that is withering, mm. this word from uh, James. So, James's point is that the rich cannot be trusted. And keep that in mind. That's the whole point as we will go through here. Cannot be trusted to do the right thing, to be just in their use of riches. And this is true of rich people, as we know them, George Soros, Trump, Buffett, Musk, Bill Gates. Listen to this. This is a news item from defconnews.com, and I've been following this for a while, along with some other uses of lands around the world. There's a congressman named Dusty Johnson. He's from South Dakota. And according to defconnews.com, he says Bill Gates is buying up huge amounts of farmland with the intent of artificially inflating the price of red meat. His goal is to make the price of beef costs prohibitive, thus forcing people to eat synthetic beef in the not too distant future. Well, is this true or is this conspiracy? Is this some right-wing bias against the rich? Well, let's continue. Farmer Will Harris, who lives just south of us in Georgia, he owns a farm down there. It's been in his family for five generations. He's the third in line. I guess he's got a son and a grandson who continue to do the work. He did an open letter to Bill Gates to discuss the matter because Gates has been buying up a lot of farmland in this country. Another reason he wrote it is Gates's forays into African and Indian agriculture have not turned out well. We will not do it on this podcast. It's uh, extensive reading. But um, if you'll just uh, Google usrtk.org, that stands for United States Right to Know, usrtk.org, Bill Gates Foundation's involvement in African and uh, Indian farmland, you can read the online critique of this from everybody who's contributed. Read it and then realize the damage the rich can do. Also, we might mention there's been recent protests of farmers in Sri Lanka and the Netherlands against the government, governments who are rich, about agriculture policies that, again, deal with this whole green business. And as Mr. Harris would say, that's no way to farm and it's not going to work. By the way, here's an interesting comment from the SAFCEI, you say, well, what is that? That's a Southern Africa Faith Communities Environmental Institute, and it's made up of Christians, Buddhists, Baha, you, you name it. Uh, they don't agree religiously, obviously, but they all do agree on this. And here's the quote they put out about Gates's uh, work in Africa. Quote, we write out of grave concern that the Gates Foundation support for the expansion of intensive industrial-scale agriculture is deepening the humanitarian crisis. Mm. And that crisis, of course, in Africa, Southern Africa. And yes, the poor can do damage, but not on a scale that will affect literally millions of people. Historically, and I was a history teacher in school for years, we know from the 19th through the 20th century, the rich had to be forced to pay a living wage to their workers. I can remember my dad talking about this. From coal miners to factory workers, the rich do not willingly give up their grip on riches. And we should not trust the rich to save us. Uh, I'm a fan of musicals. One of my favorite musicals is Fiddler on the Roof, and there's a guy in there, Tevye. If
0: Tev- I were a rich man, if I were, that's
1: exactly <laughs> where we're going. The milkman, Tevye, he sings this song, "If I Were a Rich Man," and he talks about how he wants to be, you know, a rich man and sitting on the western wall in his own synagogue, and people will come to him and ask him questions that would make a rabbi's head spin. And then Tevye says, "Because when you're rich, they think you really know." <laughs> Well, the rich, their goals are not ours. Note these harsh words from G.K. Chesterton. Yet, as we shall see, they agree with what we find in Scripture. It's a rather longer quote than normal, so just pay attention. Quote, the whole modern world is absolutely based on the assumption, not that the rich are necessary, which is tenable, but that the rich are trustworthy, which, for a Christian, is not tenable. You will hear, everlastingly, in all discussions about newspapers, companies, aristocracies, or party politics, this argument, that the rich man cannot be bribed. The fact is, of course, that the rich man is bribed. He has been bribed already, that is why he's a rich man. The whole case for Christianity is that a man who is dependent upon the luxuries of this life is a corrupt man, spiritually corrupt, politically corrupt, financially corrupt. There is one thing that Christ and all the Christian saints have said with a sort of savage monotony. They have simply said that to be rich is to be in peculiar danger of a moral wreck. Quote. Well, the rich are not oriented toward Jesus' teaching, which we find in Matthew six, nineteen through twenty one, and verses thirty one through thirty three
0: as Randy reads them. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Yeah, don't lay up treasures on earth, but in heaven. And seek
1: the kingdom first. That is the Christian expectation. And it's God's expectation for the rich if they would follow Christ. You put the kingdom first. It always comes first. You seek it, not riches. Going back to Tevye's song, at the end of it, he reaches a grand climax with the final words of, You who made the lion and the lamb You who decreed I should be what I am, would have spoiled some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man. Ah, well, let's take a summary review of the Old Testament concerning wealth, the book that Tevye said he was familiar with in the beginning of the film, which makes it clear he is not, and its problematic nature about the rich and see what Tevye, the poor Jewish milkman, needs to know about, yes, God does have a plan and you don't want to be rich. So here we're going to go through Proverbs, several Proverbs. Uh, There are a lot. I just picked out the ones that I think uh, are uh, directly associated with our podcast this day. Here is one, as Randy reads, Proverbs
0: 10, verse 2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. There you go. So make sure you know what your
1: goals are, and make sure you understand what righteousness is associated with.
0: It's life. Everything else is death. Proverbs 11:4, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death.
1: Once again, righteousness delivers from death. And that's exactly James's warning to the rich that Randy read earlier. Proverbs 22, verses 1 and then verse 7.
0: A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slaved of the lender. All right. Number one, character rules.
1: Better to have a good name than all the money in the world. Mm -hmm. And throughout history, the rich rule over the poor. Absolutely, as history shows. Then let's take a look at
0: Proverbs 28, verses 11 and then 20. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished.
1: Yes, Uh, The rich are wise in their own eyes. And in the book of Proverbs, there is one proverb that also says, do you see someone who's wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. And, of course, the book of Proverbs is hard on the fools as well. Well, the rich wise in their own eyes. Riches blind us. And wanting to get rich fast is to be avoided. And yet, lotto. How many people play the lotto? They want to get (laughs) rich fast. Now, remember, uh, it says uh, the poor... Uh, They have understanding of the rich, but so many in the countries around the world playing lotto don't. The poor are usually the most hurt, for there is no understanding of this deceit of riches apparently among a lot of poor people. So what's the proverbial answer to how to approach riches? Listen to this wisdom from Proverbs 30,
0: verses 8 and 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be fool and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God.
1: All right. So this is a wise saying from uh, the man there. He says, what shall I pray about in this matter of money? If I get rich, what can happen? I'll forget God. But what if I'm really poor? Be a thief and defile God's character. So he just wants enough to get along. Hmm. So is there a way to get rich wisely?
0: Well, even Proverbs speaks to that. Yes, Proverbs thirteen eleven: Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it.
1: Yes, little by little is the way to deal with this when getting money or getting more money than you're used to having.
0: My four hundred one k represents little by little <laughs> this year. <laughs> yes,
1: amen. Um, so, but of course, to what end is this wealth? What is the will of God for the rich? That's the question we must ask. It's better because I've seen in my own life known people who got money fast and it didn't work out well. Ruined and the stats on people who win the lotto, if you've ever checked oh, into yeah. them, are, are really sad. Worse
0: off than they started.
1: Yes, Yeah. sad. So we're going to come to the what is the will of God for the rich in Mark chapter 10. But first, let's take a look at the book of Psalms. There's a word or two there as well. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 49, 16 through 20, and this is the uh, last verses of what's known as a wisdom psalm. There are several of those in the uh, book of Psalms, and it sounds like the book of Proverbs, but Randy's going to read Psalm 49, 16 through
0: 20. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. When you've
1: got money, everybody's your friend and people praise you. But if you don't have the understanding that God wants you to have, you're no better off than a cow in a field. Mm. Okay, so we must have understanding about this. Let's take a look at Psalm 62, verse
0: 10. Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. There you go.
1: Sometimes riches do come our way, but do not reverse your priorities. Always be loose with your riches, but always hold on to the kingdom of God. If we don't, as James says, judgment awaits. Mm. Understanding is needed. Listen to these really good words from God through Moses to the children of Israel about the land they just come into and how they are to deal with the matter of
0: money. This is Deuteronomy eight eleven through 20. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God.
1: Uh, Yes, it is I, the Lord God, who gives you the power to make make wealth and all these things. So be careful. Do not have pride. As the book of Proverbs says elsewhere, pride goes before a fall. If God blesses, do not be wise in your own eyes because as James says, so says Deuteronomy. If that's the way you deal with riches, judgment will follow. And we've seen the judgments pronounced by God there if they don't pay attention to how they got their blessings of wealth. Let's look at a pivotal passage now in the New Testament that clearly illustrates both the deceitfulness of riches for the rich as well as for the naive There's a lot in here. We just want to highlight a few things, though, and they are important. Listen to this, Mark 10, verses 17 through 27.
0: And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, All things are possible with God.
1: Extraordinary story. Note the rich man's naivete. He doesn't know that he's addicted to money. Hmm. He had great possessions, and all the stories and parables we're looking at. It's not just people who have more money than others. It's people who have, as I read one guy years ago said, they got too much money and they want more. They've passed that line where it's become addictive. And so the rich man is very naive, doesn't know he's addictive, and that this is the cure, cold turkey. Now, if you've been on drugs for a long time, sometimes that doesn't work. Yeah, We know that. But in the world of the spirit and the heart, cold turkey is how you get through this. You don't get rid of an idol by degrees. Nobody in the Old Testament took their idol and said, I want to stop idol worshiping, so first I'll take off this hand, then I'll take off the foot. And then, yeah, you know, it doesn't... and only on Tuesdays. Yeah, and that's yeah. right. So you don't get rid of an idol by degrees. You've got to go cold turkey. Now, note how the disciples are naive. Jesus says how hard it is for the rich person to get into heaven, and they're amazed. And he said, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, a logical impossibility, than it is for a rich man to enter heaven, and they are exceedingly astonished. Mm. Now, why is this? Since we've had the book of Proverbs, we've read these things from Deuteronomy, why is it they don't get this? They should have a biblical background. They got a selective memory. Mm. For example, they're probably thinking about Abraham. Yes, God made Abraham rich, but there's a reason for that. You go through, read the story. There are reasons why a few other people were given wealth in the Old Testament. But they forgot the story of Solomon, who asked for wisdom, God gave him riches, And Solomon did not handle the riches well because why? He lost his wisdom, and so he left the Lord for idols. Mm -hmm. That's how we see his demise. So salvation is possible. Jesus says that, so let's go with that now. But what would that look like in today's world? What would that look like? Before we leave that, let's ask this question. If Jesus so addressed today's rich, what do you think they would do if he was talking to Mr. Soros or Mr. Trump and gave him this message that he gave the a rich young man, it's going to be the same result. You'd have to go cold turkey, and then you sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, you'll have know, treasure in heaven, and come follow Jesus. Mm. Um, so we do have a story. This one is in particular. Again, this is from Luke, and all these um, things from Luke, these passages are unique to Luke that we're going to be reading now. It's the story of Zacchaeus, which some of us, I'm sure, are familiar with. Luke 19,
0: 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He was gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded any one of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost.
1: Exactly. So here is a man who is rich, like the
0: rich young ruler who came to
1: Jesus. But he had a salvation experience with Jesus. And that changes his mind about money and everything. Mm. And now he wants to make restitution for people he's ripped off. And he wants to help the poor. All these are honest endeavors in the kingdom because they don't go through a bureaucracy. They don't go through the government. They don't go through some business <laughs> or some club. They go directly to the people. So this is the story of Zacchaeus, and Jesus pronounces him a son of Abraham, a person of faith. So yes, it is possible for salvation to come to the rich, but the reason why it's possible because it changes them. Hmm. And now they no longer... Hold on to their money. They're holding on to the kingdom and use the money as God wills. So, we're going to look at some following passages now. (laughs) And like the Zacchaeus one and the parable about the shrewd manager, (coughs) these are unique to Luke alone. He has a special interest in dealing with the rich. Let's start with Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 48, and then 51 through 53.
0: And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Okay, note well Mary's take on the rich
1: and on the poor. And notice this is consistently all the way through Luke and basically the New Testament. It's not the wicked rich, it's just the, the rich. rich, just mm-hmm. the rich, people who uh, have uh, aggrandizement of wealth and want more and, and has them in its clutches. And so it goes through the New Testament. Let's take a look now at Luke six twenty through 23. And this is part of Luke's um, presentation of the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll discuss uh, how Matthew does it when Randy reads these passages.
0: And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets.
1: Right. In uh, Matthew's account, the, uh, the values pronounced there are spiritual values of the uh, soul of the spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not necessarily poverty written, but mm. poor in spirit. Uh, blessed are those, after that, who mourn, and that's a spiritual mourning. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and so it goes. Luke's presentation, beginning with the poor, is mostly about economically poor. Matthew never addresses the rich, but again, Luke does and says exactly what Randy read about the rich there. Look at those verses again, Randy.
0: Read them, 24 and 25 and 26. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets.
1: That sounds like James chapter 5 that we read earlier. And notice the future of the rich is reversal after reversal. Rich now, and that's it. Hmm. Nothing later. Full now, but you're going to be hungry. Laughing now, but you're going to mourn. Whereas Matthew's mourning is about spiritual mourning over yourself. This is mourning because what I had, I lost. It's gone. The deceit of being spoken well of. That's the problem here. For as Psalm 49 says, which Randy read, and when you're rich, though you get praise, darkness is coming. The addictive problem now. Let's look at that concerning the rich. This is also from Luke, and all these are unique to Luke. You don't find them in Matthew or Mark or John. Luke 12,
0: 13 through 21. This is prime. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, "Man." Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose shall they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God.
1: Right. And notice again, he had plenty already, and he didn't know what to do with it. Now, I think Jesus would have said, there's some poor people around. Yeah, give it away. That's right. But what does he do? He wants more. He builds more. He's gotta have more. And as James says in other verses we've read, judgment is coming and so what will that mean for your life? Um, This is similar to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter six to Timothy, how to instruct people uh, who wanna get rich in the congregations that Timothy was looking over. He says, those who desire to get rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, and it plunges people into ruin and destruction. Mm. And, of course, this parallels Jesus' story of the soils, the four soils. The third soil was people who never bore fruit because the riches, the seedfulness of riches, choked the fruit out of them. So let's move on. Luke continues to do this, really hard on the rich. Luke 16, verses 10 through 13.
0: One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteousness wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money.
1: So true riches, if you can't be faithful with unrighteous mammon, the world, money, and you can't do right by that with God and the kingdom, then the real riches that matter to come when the kingdom does come in its fullness, where will you be? And notice again, the division is absolute. You cannot serve God and money. But note here in verses 14 and 15,
0: Jesus' word to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God.
1: There you go. They ridiculed Jesus,
0: made fun of him, because they just didn't get it.
1: And uh, Jesus says this is an abomination in the sight of God. Abomination is a good old word. Uh, Way back in the 70s, uh, me and a fellow, some other younger folks, uh, we had a, Fellow in the church, he was a church leader. His name was Brother Clyde, and whenever uh, he didn't things he didn't like was going on in the seventies and taking place, uh, he would call it an abomination. He would teach about it, and every time he said abomination, he had to grab his right leg and say abomination. <laughs> <laughs> and so some of us younger guys got, hey, that's an abomination. We grab, you know, grab away. but grab no, your leg. there are. T- but the word means something is so disgusting. God wants just has to turn his, away from it. Loving money and not taking care of the kingdom. Of course, in chapter 16, there's a very famous story, which we don't have time to go into, about the rich man and Lazarus. Mm. Rich man uh, sumptuously, fared sumptuously every day, had lots of money. There was a fellow standing laying at his gate, Lazarus, uh, who would love to have some crumbs, never got him. Dogs came and gave him relief by licking his sores. And of course, they both die. And they're both in Hades, the New Testament concept of the afterlife, and before you get to to heaven, uh, established by Jesus later. But anyway, um, the rich man, uh, he's in torment, and he sees Lazarus a long way off, uh, and peaceably, you know, with Abraham in a good place, and says, you know, send Lazarus down here. Now the amazing thing is, he knows the man's name. Mm. The man's been by his gate, he knows his name, and this is the problem I mean, it is consistently this way through the New Testament, especially in Luke. They don't care. They've got other agendas, other goals that are not ours. So the rich don't come off well at all in Luke. But, but let's take a look at this from Luke 7, verses 1 through 9. This is a person who obviously had money and clearly is not Jewish, but is commended for a faith that is outstanding.
0: And after he had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I do not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith.
1: There you go. And you don't find this added fact like you do in Matthew's account, which is in chapter 8 of Matthew, that he had money. Hmm. And I remember having a discussion with the fellow back home. I grew up with him. He's in the church, but he's on the board of uh, the bank in uh, Alexandria. And uh, he was saying, Listen, in any, in any time in history, in any culture, in time, you got money to build somebody else a house. You got money. You may not be the richest guy, might not even be a billionaire, but you got money. You got money. And notice, this centurion, and the pay of centurion was good, but building a synagogue? Whoa, Mm -hmm. that's something else. And notice what Jesus says, nowhere in Israel have I seen a faith like this, and his faith is great, but it's connected with using his money for the kingdom of God as it stood in those days. So always with the rich, their abundance blinds them to true giving. And so the following story is also in Luke. It's not unique to Luke. You'll find it in Matthew and Mark as well. Once again, It points out the rich do good things, but it's out of their abundance. They are slaves to their riches. Therefore, since it's idolatry, you can't trust them. Rain is going to read Luke
0: 21, first four verses. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on.
1: Yes. Uh, elsewhere in Luke, we're told that the Pharisees and people like this who are lovers of money rob widows. Mm. And here she is going through the line, and they got their money out. No one helps her out, mm-hmm. but faithfully she gives her, and she's commended. And notice once again, it's out of their abundance. As C.S. Lewis says when he was asked once, How much should I give? He said, You give till it hurts. Mm-hmm. They don't hurt. They never hurt. Nor do they give according to the increase. So you, your riches increase, great. Then you up your giving. Mm, it's still out of the abundance. So let's look at now Paul's admonition to the Christian rich and their responsibilities to the kingdom of God and Paul's exhortation to Timothy as to how he should instruct the rich who are Christians. This is 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the
0: rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life.
1: Use your money for kingdom work. Mm. Those things that have eternal uh, conclusions. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's parallel to Luke's story of the shrewd steward, manager, and how the sons of light should put their finances to work for the kingdom's future. Reading this passage of Paul to Timothy, do you get the impression that if Paul were here today, he'd, he'd say, listen, people, you really need to invo- invest your money into uh, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party? I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think I can hear Paul saying that. Both of them are worthless. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, me and my house, uh, we give, you know, to the kingdom of work, and that's how money goes. And uh, there are people probably who don't like that, but that's it. It's not going to change. So use your money for kingdom of work, especially if you're rich, because you're building up those treasures in heaven. Help those who need help. Help them directly, amply, faithfully. Joseph of Arimathea, now this is not from uh, Luke. This is from Matthew 27, but he would know something about that. Because in Matthew 27, 57 through 61, Matthew says he's a rich man. And what did he do? He helped take Jesus, along with Nicodemus, uh, when he was dead from crucifixion, put him in a very expensive tomb that he would made for himself. Now, does Matthew say expensive? No, but he says he hewed it out of the rock that was there. It's not built with rocks. They went in like boom, 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 in a big rock area on the side of a hill and carved out of that solid rock a tomb for himself because why he's rich but now he's been following Jesus so he puts Jesus in the tomb does he know what will happen in three days investing in the kingdom Mm -hmm. (laughs) no but he knows he must give the honor of this tomb to Jesus not to him so Joseph of Arimathea's riches don't control him so may we all use our resources for God's kingdom now and the one to come And to be welcomed into that transcendent city, which you find in Revelation chapters uh, 21, with all the golden streets, the gates of pearl, the bejeweled foundations, the riches of the world, which point to the riches, really, the true riches, of the grace to come, as we conclude with Ephesians 2, 4 through 7.
0: But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus.
1: Immeasurable riches. That's what we are looking forward to, mercies of God. This
0: is the Christian
1: expectation.
0: Well, thanks, Jim. We've got a lot to think about, and I'm sure there might be questions and comments about it. So if you have questions or comments or statements you'd like to make, please email us at events and expectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word's and, and expectations at gmail.com. All together, we'll use your question or comment where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations, and until our next podcast, Keep looking up.